0: Yeah, so as Brian mentioned, I uh, I work with an organization called Young Life here in New Smyrna Beach. Um, it's really exciting. If you guys know uh, my wife and I's history at all, we were missionaries um, and got forced off the field uh, during COVID. But but for us, that's really our heart is like going to the people that are just far from Jesus um, or you know have never set foot in a church. And uh, we we were back in the states and kind of ended up at this crossroads. We didn't really know what we were going to do with our lives. Um, And I ended up, I mean, God just opened a door for me to work for Young Life. And uh, what Young Life does is they partner, um, they come alongside churches. So I get to work with Coastline, I get to work with Salty, I get to work with Edgewater Alliance. Uh, We're partnering with First NSB, uh, Atlantic, cause like a bunch of different churches in New Smyrna Beach um, that don't necessarily have the budget for a youth group or or don't have a full youth group. Um, And so I get to kind of come alongside and provide like a youth group for all of New Smyrna Beach. Um, and the cool thing is Young Life's heart, uh, obviously if there's kids that come to church and need a youth group, like we welcome that, and we love that. Um, but their heart is to go to the kids uh, they aren't in church. And so a huge part of my job is like, I'm at the high school volunteering multiple days a week. Um, I'm in the process of substitute teaching there. Um, and so, so part of my job is just to build relationships uh, with teenagers um, and, and love them and care for them and uh, give them an opportunity to to experience Jesus. And so um, I've been very blessed with that. Uh, Coastline has been a huge support. When you guys give, that actually part of that goes to um, Young Life, New Smyrna Beach. And so I really appreciate that. Um, but it's really awesome. So if you have any students or you know any students, uh, I would love to meet them, connect with them, and uh, get them plugged into our group because it really is a cool thing. So I am super excited uh, to be here with you guys today. Many of you have heard me speak before. Um, I love... Uh, getting to teach God's Word, I think it is one of the coolest things. Uh, And for me, you know, there's a couple reasons I like it. Um, One, uh, it's kind of a selfish reason, but for me, I'm constantly trying to learn. Like, I love God's Word. I'm kind of like a Bible nerd. And when I get to teach something, um, it kind of helps me work through it a little better. And so a lot of times when I actually talk to you guys, I'm not teaching you something that I've known forever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I have this nailed down. I could write, you know, a 10-page paper on this. Most of the time, it's stuff that I'm, I'm kind of working through myself, um, and it's exciting, and it's fun for me. And so uh, today, I've had a message. Uh, it's actually a series, but we're going to stick with a message for now. Um, since college, uh, I've had this, this idea of preaching uh, a series comparing the, the Roman Empire that Jesus lived in uh, to America, and for a long time, I, I, I was like, man, that would be such a great series because there's so many parallels. Um, you know, the Roman Empire was the most powerful nation on earth. Um, they had the greatest military, the greatest technology, the greatest wealth. I mean, they were the pinnacle of human beings in their time. Um, and and they, they they believed it. Um, they believed that they were the most powerful. They believed that they—and and there's just a lot of similarities that I think sometimes us as Americans fall into. Um And it was also kind of a crazy time uh you know the roman empire was known for for just like crazy partying for sexual debauchery and and some things that i think a lot of us we we we've seen in our culture um with the rise of technology and and just some of the craziness and so for a long time i was like man that would be such a great series rome and america but then as i've over the years studied the book of romans and paul's letter to the church in rome um, you very quickly realize, and this is true for most of the scripture, uh, this scripture is, is never, never going against uh, culture. It's always an indictment of the people of God. And so when Paul writes to Rome, and he writes the church in Rome, he's not writing about all the people that, that aren't believers, that don't know Jesus. He's writing to the people that do know Jesus. And so as I began to study the book of Romans, um, I thought, man, uh, this would be a great series uh, for the American church based on the church in Rome. And so today, as I go through it, um, I have two goals. One, I hope that by the end of this uh, message, if you are ever intimidated at all about reading the Bible or diving into God's Word, or just being like, man, it's so different, it's so di-, and I, I, we all feel that way. Um, I hope that this will give you a little bit of a basis uh, to dive into the book of Romans and be able to read it for yourselves. Second, I hope by the end of this message, uh, there are a couple terms that we've used often in the Christian faith. Um, and I, I think in a lot of ways we've kind of missed the bigger picture of what they do and how they apply to our lives. And so if you guys have heard me preach before, you know that I tend to get a little teachy. I don't know if that's a word. Um, but, but I like to go into stuff. It gets me excited, and so... Uh, I ask that you bear with me. It's going to be a little while before we get to the Scripture, um, but my hope is that by the time we get to the Scripture, you will have such an understanding that you will, you will almost be like a person in that church in Rome that when you hear Paul's letter, that the words and, and the things he's saying, uh, that you'll, I won't have to do very much explaining, that you'll already understand what he's talking about and what he's getting at. Um, so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive right in. Dear Holy Father, uh, Lord, thank you so much uh, for this opportunity that that we just get to gather and hear Your Word, um, a, a book that's thousands of years old um, and yet still speaks to our lives today. Uh, Lord, I just pray right now that you will you will give me clarity um, and that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and that Your Holy Spirit will be present with us as we dive in Your Word together. We love you, Lord. Just say my prayer. Amen. So there's a couple things going on in Rome that you need to know about. Um, the uh, the the churches in Rome, um, so Paul's writing this letter. So a lot of times we'll read these books and, and we kind of misread them or use them in a different way, but Romans is a letter to an actual church. It's a group of people that meet together to study God's word and to grow in their faith. Um, one thing that's important for you to think about uh is don't think of it as church like like we are right now, but Brian just talked about small groups, and we know that's such a huge part. Uh, uh, and if you're not a small group, I didn't. even It's awesome that it worked out this way, but that is such a key part of this experience in walking in your faith. So when Paul writes to these churches in Rome, it's less of like a gathering like this, and it's more of these small groups that are meeting together, that know each other, that love each other, that can hold each other accountable. Um, and, and so, if you imagine this letter. It's being written to, like, all the small groups in Coastline. So I want you to picture that first. Second, there there were some issues in Rome. You know, a lot of the letters we read from Paul, he's writing to churches and correcting them because they've done some things that, you know, they've kind of gotten off track. And one of the big issues in Rome is that they are a divided church. Now, I know that's not applicable to us today in America, right? Like, we don't let anything divide us in church, right? Like, politics, you know, thoughts about COVID, you know, whatever. Like, we never are divided. So bear with me for a little while, but you have to know there's a huge division in the church of Rome. And so as we dive into this, I want you to think of, uh, of some of these, these things. But a lot of times, I think we misread the book of Romans, I think often we we misread a lot of the Bible um, because it's just, it's kind of challenging, but the book of Romans especially has been a book that for a long time uh, we've used it um, almost like an algorithm or a math problem. So how many of you ever heard the term the Romans road to salvation? So it's like this whole plan, like if you do A plus B plus C, that equals salvation. Um, And and not to say that there's not, not insight into how we follow Christ in the book of Romans, But that's not what the letter was intended for. It was never meant to be picked apart and used to justify certain doctrines. Um, A huge part uh, of the reason we're actually here today in America um, is because of something that happened in the 1500s called the Protestant Reformation. A big part of the Protestant Reformation was actually based on the book of uh, Romans. And and it's why we have churches like Coastline today. It's probably why the pilgrims actually made their way to America. Um, But in a lot of ways... We took the book and we kind of boiled out what was going on the context the people we made it impersonal we made it uh, just like a problem to equal a solution um, and i don't think that's how it's meant to be read you know brian talked about fishing that's one of our favorite things that's one of the things we connect over and i uh, a couple of years ago i got my captain's license and i'm actually trying to work to be a fishing guide on the side um, i love people putting people on fish it's so much fun to me i'm not always great at it um, but i'm working at him I'm trying to become a great fisherman, and I think that what separates a good fisherman from a great fisherman is knowing what's going on underneath. So a lot of fishermen will hear, oh I have a spot, I have a great spot, and and so they go there and they catch fish and they have this one spot and that's what they fish, and totally sometimes they catch fish in those spots, right? But a great fisherman just doesn't have spots, a great fisherman knows. Hey, the redfish are going to be at this spot this time of year because the weather's this way and the moon's over here and the tide's moving this way. And if all that's reversed, then that, those fish are going to be at a different spot because they know what's going on underneath. And so I think when we read the Bible, it is so important that we know what is going on underneath the, the scripture, that we don't just pick it apart, but we, we actually know the undercurrent and we know why the person's writing to these people and what's going on in their lives. So what was going on in Rome? So Rome was a divided church. Like I said, it was multiple house churches. Think of it as small groups. Um, but there was one really big issue in the book of Rome, uh, in the book of Romans. There was this dividedness where there were Jews and there were Gentiles mixing together in this church. So if you don't know, Gentiles were—that was just the Greek word that described anyone that's not a Jew. So anyone that didn't subscribe to Judaism, they were a Gentile. And what Paul was seeing going on in the book of Romans, and we know from Paul's letters that he, he actually hadn't gone to Rome at this point. He had some friends there, and so he's just kind of leading them from a distance. But Paul's main issue throughout the whole book of Romans, you'll hear him talk about the weak and the strong, two different groups. Um, the weak group are the people that had converted to Judaism and were now telling Gentiles then, in order to follow Christ, you also had to convert to Judaism. So that would mean that as an adult, you'd have to get circumcised, which, like, I'm out there. That's horrible. Um, it meant that you you had to go to the temple, and you had to sacrifice every year on Yom Kippur. It meant that you had to follow the dietary restrictions of the Jews. It meant that you couldn't eat with other Gentiles. And so it, it was adding all this stuff onto uh, the beauty and the message and the sacrifice of Christ, Um that didn't need to be added on to it. And again, I'm sure none of us have ever been guilty of that. Um, we've never made it more difficult for people to follow Christ. I, I'm, I know I'm perfect at that. So, um, but, but there was this huge issue. And so Paul's writing this letter because he, he, he's frustrated that there are people that are, are creating a stumbling block uh, to follow Christ. And so there's this divisiveness. It's also important to know that uh, Rome was the ultimate superpower on earth um you know it's you can compare it to america but honestly i think it'd be more like nazi germany in 1939 i mean think of this dominating force that is just taking over country by country nation by nation um because they believe that they are the pinnacle of human perfection and so imagine living in that as a conquered people um and it would be like, like I, I imagine like Paris in 1939, where there's Nazi propaganda and there's statues of Hitler and that you're just inundated with Rome. That's what this church is living under. And so Paul is writing them in the midst of that. It's also important to know that a lot of times when we read the Bible, we reread it uh, like individuals. Like, hey, Paul's talking to me. Uh, almost every instance of the word you in romans is the plural form so just read it as y'all if you guys go home and read your bible scratch out you write y'all because that's what paul's saying saying y'all need to do this he's writing to a community and that's going to come back in later but the issue is people are, are making roadblocks for people to follow christ and, and paul's trying to correct that So now that we understand a little bit about the background, and again, I said I'm going to get teachy, bear with me. I promise we're going to get to the scripture. But I want to talk about some of the definitions, some of the words that we're going to encounter as we go through this beginning of Romans 1. Um, The first word uh, that I want us to look at is the word uh, gospel. So Paul's going to use this word a lot. If you've been in church for any amount of time, um, you've heard the word gospel, you know what it is. You probably have an idea of what it means. But something that's kind of crazy and maybe you're just a lot smarter than me and you've already gotten here but it's taken me a long time of following christ to realize this a lot of the christian words you know the christianese uh we use um before they were written in the bible they were just everyday words so there there are some words that in scripture paul like strings together a bunch of words and invents a word and makes it um uh you know mean something new But all of the words in this letter that we're going to use, they were words before they were Christian words. They were everyday common words. And so the word gospel was was actually the Greek word kerygma. Um, And and I just like saying that because it's fun to say, kerygma. Uh, But kerygma meant something very, very serious in Rome. Um, The word kerygma uh, was the word that it that they used to describe uh, the good news of Rome coming into your nation. So as Rome was conquering nations, uh, as they would would force them to take on Greek uh, culture and the Greek language and the Greek way of living, uh, they said that they were spreading the gospel. They were spreading the good news of Rome through force. So as you read this letter, know that it is a very, very political letter. Paul knows exactly what he's doing, so they are spreading the gospel of Rome. The next word that we're going to encounter is the word peace. To us, peace is a good thing. Um, how many of you in school learned of the Pax Romana? That's, that's literally the peace of Rome. Uh, and again, that was tied to the gospel in the way that when Rome would conquer a nation, uh, they would say that they are, they are making that nation peaceful uh, through war. It's kind of backwards, right? Right? Again, I'm sure we've never experienced that. Um, but, uh, but the peace of Rome uh, was not a peace that we think of when we think of uh, the beautiful peace of Jesus. It was a peace that came through war and bloodshed and conquering and dominance. So Paul's going to use that word. The other one is Lord. We see that all throughout Scripture. Um, the word there in Greek is kurios. That was a word that was specifically designated for Caesar, the leader of this Roman Empire. Anyone who would use that word in reference to themselves or anyone besides Caesar was subject to death. So when you see LORD in all caps in the New Testament, that is Paul or Jesus or one of the other writers going against, it'd be like speaking out against Hitler. And you would be in, in as much danger as someone living in Nazi Germany uh, back in that day, maybe more, if you were to speak out against the emperor. Another word he uses is slave. Um, Paul constantly, constantly refers to himself as slave. Um, and it's kind of important, the Greek word for slave is doulos. Uh, a lot of times in your, your uh, Bible, it'll be translated bond servant. That was translated and changed later on, uh, kind of during the American Civil War um, and and the Antebellum period, because they didn't want slaves identifying uh, with these characters uh, in the Bible. But but the word's not bond servant. That's kind of prettying it up, you know, churching it up. the The word is slave. And we're not going to get too much in that. I could preach a whole series on that. But think about this guy Paul, the leader of the churches of the world, and he consistently doesn't refer to himself as a leader or someone to be followed, or someone to be elevated, he constantly refers to himself as a slave. In the Greek and Roman world, a slave wasn't even a human. You weren't human unless you were a free man. So Paul constantly refers to himself as a subhuman person. I know for me that's convicting in how I live my life. The final two words that I want to focus on, and these are really um, what, if you get nothing else from from all my lecturing. Uh, I want you to come home with these two words. Uh, there was this system in the Roman culture called the patron-client relationship. Now this is gonna get really teaching, really nerdy, I apologize. But this patron-client relationship was a huge thing. Um, I was trying to think of how to relate today, it's kind of like a redneck handshake. Um, maybe something a little more complicated. But but so we, we live in a, a commerce culture, right? If I wanna buy something you have or I, I wanna you know, borrow, use you for some sort of service, I pay you money, right? It's goods and services we exchange. And that's something that happened in the Roman world. But another huge institution was this patron-client thing. And this is a huge thing. You can Wikipedia it. Um, the patron-client relationship was kind of a, a sort of a, uh, a, an allegiance system, and so the patron was a wealthy or influential political figure in society. They were someone who was dominant, who was powerful, who was successful, who had influence over the uh, over society, um, and their friends, who were because it was all about dominant uh, s- domination, subordination in the Roman culture. Uh, they would have friends, and those friends would be clients. And so the clients would come to the patron. And they would ask them for help, whether it was getting out of debt or maybe they need to get out of jail or they, they're running for office and they need someone to support them or they're opening a business and they need a loan. And so the client would come to the patron ask for this help. And the patron would give them that help in the word "cardis." Uh, That's the word we translate grace. So the patron would give the client his grace. Now this was a free thing that they could take, but it wasn't free uh, if you didn't give something back. So it was commonly known that if you were to accept a caris from a patron, then you, as a client, had to return uh, a word called pistis. That's a word we translate as faith. So you'll see all—I hope this opens your eyes when you read the New Testament. All throughout Scripture, you will see faith and grace side by side. And that's not because that's Paul making something up. It's Paul's using something that already existed in the world— so that people could understand what God was now doing. It was a common term that Paul used to explain uncommon things. And so a big thing that happened in that Protestant Reformation that I told you guys about in the 1500s. It was a pushback against the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church for 1500 years had been the only church uh, that existed on earth. And, and while they did some amazing things, they, there had also been a power struggle. And so one of the things the Catholic Church said was that you had, in order to be saved, you had to do all these things. Well, this guy Martin Luther looked at books like Romans and Galatians and said, no, you're justified by faith. So you don't have to do all those things to have a relationship with Jesus, which is totally true. But I think in a lot of ways we've swung really far in the opposite direction of making faith a simple belief. Something that if I just believe the right things, and I just constantly, like, no matter, there's no doubt, there's no whatever, I just believe the right things, then I'm in the right relationship with Jesus. For me, I I can't reconcile that with the rest of Scripture. You know, we see, guys, in the Old Testament, if you read Hebrews 11, that's the faith chapter— and, and Paul goes through all these guys that for centuries had been faithful uh, uh, members uh, of the, the family of God. And we see throughout Scripture these guys that constantly wrestled and doubted their faith. God's people were named Israel. Um, before that, uh, they got their name from a guy named Jacob. Jacob's the one who wrestled with God. He's the guy that met God in the middle of the night and said, hey, I'm not gonna let you go until you tell me who you are and you give me your blessing. And so he literally wrestled with God throughout the night. God then changed his name to Israel. Do y'all know what Israel means? It means one who wrestles with God. So God's name for his people were people that wrestled with him. I don't, I'm not saying it's bad to believe the right things. I, that's all I do. I'm, I'm a Bible nerd. I'm in school for biblical studies. I'll probably keep going. I'm like a super senior at this point. I've been in forever. Should have a doctorate at this point. Um, but it's important to believe the right things, but I think a lot of times we get in the trap where that's where our faith stops. Man, I don't think, if I struggle with something in God's word, I don't think just telling myself no believe it, believe it, believe it, believe it, believe it, accept it, is what God's looking for. I think what God's looking for is action. Our faith must require action. I heard a story, I was reading a, a famous theologian, who was talking about how his, uh, someone asked him like, who's the most religious person you know? And he said, oh, by far my grandmother. He um, said, well, what makes you religious? said oh well she wakes up at 5 a.m. every morning and she reads her bible for the first hour and she prays for the second hour don't get me wrong if you can do that I I struggle to focus for 10 minutes um, in the morning but he said yeah she's the most religious person I know he said but she's not the most faithful and they said well what's the difference so well when she goes out in the day she's the meanest person you'll ever meet she's racist she's horrible to people and I think, again, a lot of times, these are the practice. And reading the Bible and praying are some of the most beautiful things we can do. But if they're not accompanied by the way we love and the way we treat and the way we serve our communities, then what's the point? And y'all, again, I say this every time. I'm just going to do it sometime. I'm bring a mirror up here because I'm speaking to myself more than anyone else. And I thank you guys just for coming along for the ride. Um, but faith, you know, it—, it the brother of Jesus wrote a book, James, Um, that same guy, Martin Luther, that began the Protestant Reformation, he actually wanted to cut the book of James out of the Bible. He didn't like it. It frustrated him because it went against what he believed. Isn't that funny? Someone told me this the other day. I was thinking about it. A lot of times we get excited when Scripture agrees with what we already believe. I was that for a long time. Now I get excited when Scripture disagrees with what I believe. Because I think Scripture, if we... If Jesus starts to look a lot like us, then I think we're in trouble. Almost every encounter that Jesus has with another human being, uh, once they walk away feeling loved, but two, they walk away changed. If not changed, they, they walk away challenged. So I think if you got gotten the point in your life where, where scripture just always agrees with what you believe and it doesn't challenge you, it doesn't make, give you that sick feeling, that not, then I think maybe we, we've turned into something else. That's my side note. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox. But so that faith and 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 grace thing is a very big thing. Are you guys with me on that? Okay, cool. So now we're gonna dive in the book of Romans. Um, So we got about another forty-five. I'm just kidding. Um, But my hope was I want to try something a little risky here. Uh, I'm not gonna give you. I'm gonna talk about it a little bit. But my hope is you you kind of get a sense of what's going on there. There's this turmoil. There's this divide. they're living in the center of the most powerful nation on earth. And if they're Romans, if they're Greeks, then they themselves have grown up believing that they are the pinnacle of humanity. They are the greatest people. And they follow the greatest leader. Not a leader who's, who dies on a cross in a shameful way, but a leader who has literally conquered the entire free world. And Paul writes them in his greeting. He says, I, Paul, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, which again, we, we elevate the word apostle. That simply means someone that's sent out. That wasn't like a—we use apostle as like a, a very like high-up thing, like, oh, they're an apostle. It just means someone that went, someone that go, went. Um, so Paul says, I'm a slave, and I'm someone who was sent out, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures. Concerning his son, who was born of a seed of David according to the flesh. Again, that's a political thing. Caesar was known as the Son of God. They didn't just believe Caesar was, was a human, but he was part man, part God. Does it sound familiar to the story of Jesus? Some of the claims he made? I love the Bible, it's so cool. It says that Jesus was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was, spirit of, who was the spirit of holiness. Declare the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. I almost think we should never have faith without that word obedience because that's what it is, right? It's an action. Obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake among whom y'all also, are called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul writes to this church, and, and this is just the opening seven verses. This is a 15 chapter book. I hope that that this will inspire you uh, to to be able to to dive in and read it for yourself because it really is a cool book, um, especially when you know what's going on underneath. But one of the action steps I want to take today is I I don't want us to leave um, with just the right belief. Like if I got up here and spoke for 30 minutes and just taught you some really cool things about Romans, I mean, that's awesome. I love that sort of stuff. But I hope that as you leave here, uh, somehow it affects some sort of change in the way we act. Because you can believe the right things about Romans, but if you walk away from and don't act, uh, then what's the point? So I'm gonna have a couple questions up here, um, some action steps. My hope is that you take these questions with you. You can take a picture of it with your phones or um, whatever you wanna do, but, but I hope that you take these um, and that they, they, I invite you to talk about them within your community. So whether that's your family, whether that's a close group of friends, whether that's a small group, um, these are not questions for you to take and write down in your journal and in your quiet time in the morning by yourself to ponder because I think we're stronger together. We challenge each other together, we grow together. So these questions, I want you to to think about how are you faithful now? How are you faithful in the city of New Smyrna Beach? How are you faithful in your marriage? How are you faithful with your family? Man, I think about that with my wife. Uh, There's just so many good illustrations. I believe that Emily is my wife and I believe that she's, uh, I'm her husband but what does that belief really do? If I go around acting as if I'm unmarried, then what's the point of believing that? Even if I tell people, hey, I'm married to Emily, and I go around, I'm going to bars and trying to pick up girls, like what, what is that belief? That's not faith. So I wanna know where you're faithful in your community. Another thing Paul, or James writes, uh, you know, James writes that faith without works is dead. That's a really quick book you can read if you really wanna know. Um, He says, faith without works is dead. It's pointless, it's nothing. He says somewhere else that pure and undefiled religion or pure and undefiled faith is this, to run to the orphan and the widow in their time of distress. How are we doing that in our communities? How are we doing that in our friendships? How are we doing it in our marriages? So where are you doing that well? Ask yourself that and talk about it within community. And my hope is that this isn't like, oh yeah, I'm doing it really good and I'm doing it bad. But you know, guys like me who who've been walking in the faith for you know maybe 15, 20 years, I would love to have someone that's been walking in the faith for 40 years to say, hey, this is what I've been doing. Because it's hard to live out our faith, right? I mean, I know people within this church that have packed up and, and moved to Haiti. Uh, because they didn't just believe the right things, but they thought they needed to put into action to help people. There's a guy in this church that that left his six-figure corporate job uh, to start feeding the homeless. That's what he does. That's faith. doesn't matter if he believes the right thing, but he's putting it into action. So where are you being faithful? Um, Where can you be more faithful? I don't have the answers. You know, for some of you, maybe it is quitting your job and opening a homeless shelter. For some of you, maybe it's just giving that homeless guy down the street, you know, 20 bucks when you drive by. Forfeiting that Starbucks drink uh, so someone else can have a meal. I don't know. But I wanna invite you to walk in faith. Um, And finally, number three, uh, go out and do it. Again, it's great if we have good ideas and we talk about it. But if we don't go and do it, then what's the point? Thank you guys so much for letting me be here. Uh, I just wanna invite you to stand and worship with us. As always Coastline, know that you are loved and that the best is yet to come.